welcome to the Black and White Podcast, where we seek to filter the gray world around us through God's Word, with radical grace, raw truth, and real hope. I'm Denise Pass, and this month we have been discussing reaching and connecting with the disconnected world around us, and we have our special guest back with us today, Brock Shinen, who will be sharing impacting our culture with the work of our hands as a Christian entrepreneur. Brock Shinen is a lawyer, a speaker, and author of the book, the Christian Entrepreneur, and the founder of the Law Office of Brock Shinen Incorporated, which represents some of the largest churches in America. Brock is a highly sought-after business advisor and personal business strategist to globally recognized organizations and ministries. He has spoken at conferences and business gatherings, including the National Religious Broadcasters National Convention, the Southern Baptist National Convention, and the Vineyard USA National Conference. And his writing has been featured in publications such as the Huffington Post. Brock lives with his wife and two children in Orange County, California. Learn more at www.brockshinen.com. Welcome to the show, Brock. Thanks so much, Denise. So happy to be back. And it was such a great conversation. I'm really excited to just continue to walk through it. Well, so am I, and our listeners are as well. The scripture for this episode is taken from Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. This is such an encouraging promise. God has our back. But we have a role to play and need to establish a good foundation. So your opening question on the inside flap of your book cover drew me in. What if you could change the world, truly change it, and create a successful company in the process? I think so many of us desire to make a difference. We want to help people. We want to be able to have this be our life's work instead of having to be a tent maker and do a job on the side, but making a profit on our calling is not so easy. You mentioned the elements necessary for a foundation of our business, I'm going to say, or ministry, Mm -hmm. because a number of people who listen to me uh, have ministries. How do you recommend Christians take their idea and make it a viable business and set that business up for success? Great, great, great question to start with. So I think the starting point is actually in in your head, right? I think the very first thing we have to do is realize that if we want to build something that's going to change the world, and and like I said, like really, really change it and be successful, we have to actually get in the mindset that we are going to build something that's going to change the world and be successful. And I know it may sound crazy, um, but I just know this from many, many years of experience of working with entrepreneurs is that how many of us just don't believe that? Like the starting point is actually that we don't even believe it. We say we want it. We say, I want a hugely successful you know, business and you know, maybe I have a nine to five job, but I'm working nights, I'm working weekends, I'm really working on this thing. But if we really pulled you out, and, you know, I would never do this to anybody, obviously, but let's say we put you on a, on a polygraph and we said, hey, do you really think you can change the world? My guess, and, and my guess is, you know, a quick side note. So my undergraduate work was in uh, psychology, and then I actually went to graduate school for clinical psychology. And actually, it's another story for another day, but I was on the path to becoming a clinical psychologist, you know, long before I was a lawyer. So I've always felt connected to human psychology and understanding motivation and understanding, you know, how we basically think about things and solve problems. 
that's always been a big piece of who I am. So when I look at this question, I think actually the, the first thing we could do as a foundation within ourselves is to really take serious, if we want to change the world and if we want to build a successful business, we actually have to first believe that we can. And I know that's, that's weird to say, but I just know that so many people don't. They, they say it, but they don't believe it. And if I say, can you build something that will change the world? Can you actually change the world? I think then we start getting into the self-doubt and the things of like, well, I, you know, I don't know. And maybe we can quote scripture and say, well, through Christ, I can do all things. Yeah, but do you believe that? So if we start there and we, and we transition from your mental state and your perceptions of your own ability, we quickly realize I can't do anything without God, mm-hmm. right? And that's the, next, uh, the very next thing I think that's necessary in that foundation is going from, okay, do you believe you can do it? Okay, great. What, do you believe that you, it requires God to do it? Right. Cause that's, that's actually, it's a one, two punch. Um, and you could start, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly spiritual. I mean, we could start with, I can't do anything without God. You know, he's the vine and we're the branches apart from him. We're nothing. And I truly believe that to my core apart from him. I am nothing. I can't accomplish anything, but with him, I can accomplish anything. I can change the world. Literally, I can change the world forever and I can build a successful business. So if we start with those two pieces as our um, sort of iconic framework for how we're going to build, then the next step is, and this is where I feel like, you know, I, I still think that's very practical and very pragmatic, but I think, you know, if we shift gears, then it becomes the very next thing is, then how do we start planning? Because I would suspect, and I, and again, I don't, I don't ever really fully suspect. I base this on experience and you know many years of doing this. Is that the vast majority of entrepreneurs don't even really try to plan? They don't mm. really try to vet their ideas. They don't uh, take the risk of you know saying, hey, I want to do this thing or build this business and take it to you know uh, five or ten of their close friends or family members who will be honest with them and say, what do you think? and be prepared for somebody to say, I don't think you have what it takes. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a stupid idea. And so vetting the idea with family, with friends, with God, with yourself, like vetting that idea and then starting to build an, an idea, a plan around that idea. I'm a huge fan of being methodical, not being, you know, where you can't make quick moves or turn on a dime. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about creating strategic plans so that you can accomplish them. So really, this is like a long, long conversation that we could have just around the foundational element. But I think if anybody listening would focus on those key pieces I just laid out, I think your chances of success just increased by a few extra zeros um, in terms of a percentage of prob- you know, probability of you being successful. I really agree with that. I think a lot of times people quit And that's really why they don't achieve it because people don't believe they can change the world because they're looking for results before they even start. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think you mentioned mindset, getting into mindset that we can change the world requires that we believe God is going to do it. But I think Mm -hmm. it also requires us to lay down what we think it's going to look like. Yeah. You know, because that can be defeating and we can just be led by, you know, fear Instead of just right. being self-disciplined and enduring, as you mentioned earlier, and persevering and doing it because it's on your heart to do it and believing in yourself. Well, and tr- 
Yeah. Sorry, Denise. It just got me excited. As you're, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about it. it. It's, it's also just faith and trust in a God that loves us. I mean, mm. we were so afraid that our vision of success, you know, if somebody had a, uh, you know, a word for us, or if we just felt in our bones, we're supposed to do this thing. We also get in our mind that it has to look this way. So just like you're saying, it may not look that way, but we have to trust that God loves us and he has better plans than we could ever fully understand or envision. Always better, always to set us up for success. That's his love for us. That's his desire for mm. us. I think there's a lot of healing needed sometimes. People, that inner child that's afraid of rejection right, uh, and failure. And so right. we don't try things a lot. And, you know, and there can also be so much suspicion and speculation when someone starts a ministry or business. You know, how do we make an impact and reach the world around us? with our Christian business without people questioning our motives, you know, mm. uh, there's accusations of self-promotion or personal gain. I, I'm totally not talking about myself, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I've been on the right. receiving end of some of that at times too. Right. right. That's a tough one. Um, and I do think there's just some, you know, good old fashioned advice here to be honest with you. And I think the, the good old fashioned advice is you can't worry about what other people are going to think or say. You have to do what you know God has called you to do. And especially if you're, you know, you mentioned, you know, I, what if I don't want to just have a side hustle or, you know, just be this tent maker thing? What if I want to build a business that will literally change the world? What if I want to have a global status, not for myself and not for fame, but because I want God to be able to use me at that level? All of those things do require that you stop worrying about what man, and, and when I say man, I mean that generically, what humans think of you. Yes. Because I had, uh, I've, I've told this story before, but for probably long beyond a decade, I had this simple verse. I think it's Colossians. Uh, somebody's going to pin me on this. Uh, <laughs> Colossians. Uh, oh, geez. Somebody's going to have to look this up. But whatever you do, do it with your whole heart as if doing it for God and not for people. Mm. And I, I literally printed this out like when I was in junior high or high school. I, I uh, taped it to my desk then and as I moved, you know, as I changed desks, as I went to college, you know, things started getting tattered. I covered it with tape to like laminate it. <laughs> and I, I literally had that on my desk or my computer for more, maybe even 15 years. I don't know how long it was, but it was a constant reminder to me, why am I doing this? And, and the answer in part is it's not for approval. I want God's mm -hmm. approval. I don't need anybody else's approval. I need God's approval. And I wanted to remind myself of that constantly. So the good old-fashioned advice here, which I think is ironically also Christian advice, is do it for God, and you're not going to have to worry about that. And sure, there will always be haters. There will always be people that will <laughs> attack what you do. There will always be people that will uh, question your motives. And the truth is you have to ignore them if you want to be successful. You know, I think about as any athlete at any level, I mean, Little League Baseball, Olympic sports, whatever it is, you think about to succeed and win, you have to shut out the noise. You have to shut out the self-doubt. You have to shut out the competition in a sense, not suggesting that you're not mindful of where you are in the race, but just, just the point of not letting that overcome your focus on your goal. So I think that's really the best advice here is that, you know what? People are going to accuse. People are going to say you're promoting yourself or you're doing this for personal gain. And the question really is between you and God. Is that your heart? 
because God searches the heart. You know, people can't understand your heart. Sure, they can question your heart, but they don't see inside your heart. But you know who does? And that and that's God. And that's the God we love and we claim to be serving. So if you really want to worry about, you know, self-promotion, personal gain, pride, all that kind of stuff, I'd say bring that question to God and don't worry about anybody else and what they're thinking. So good. And it was Colossians 3.23, just in case <laughs> anybody out there wanted it. Uh, you know Thank what I you. think of, the word popping in my mind as you were speaking was tenacity. Mm. That's such a key ingredient. We've got to hold on to what we I know like God that. spoke to us and persevere, really. But uh, it's showing up. It's showing yeah. up too, you know. So let's talk about growing pains. You mentioned that in your book. Can you offer encouragement to someone out there who is discouraged with what seems like an impossible goal of running their own flourishing business? How do you recommend people stay motivated and encouraged? Yeah, I, I do truly believe this as I'm about to say it. I think that the way that you stay motivated is to keep your focus on God and doing the goals that God has set out for you. Um, it's too easy to get lost in, you know, insignificance and in failure and in, you know, we just haven't reached our goals yet. And when you focus, um, focusing first and foremost on God and what he's called you to do, I think all that, that noise just kind of drowns out a little bit because your, your focus is somewhere else and your focus isn't just on a random, it's not like running a race where your focus is just on the finish line. You know, when you focus on God, God's not a finish line. God is the, mm. the, the author of peace. God is the author of security. So when we focus on him, it's more than just, oh man, I know God's with me. I'm, you know, it's not like the footprints um, poem or whatever. <laughs> it's real. It's, and not, not to mock that, I'm saying you know, our relationship with God, when we focus on him, when we're going through these growing pains, he speaks to us and he holds our hand. And he says, Brock, Denise, it's going to be fine. I'm going to get you there. So that's, that's piece one. The second piece is that I think you have to go into it knowing that if you're going to build anything of significance, it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful because I don't believe, well, I, I believe that anything that is of significance requires significant sacrifice. I do think mm. that, you know, we all kind of want to buy the, you know, $300 million lottery ticket. And that's, that's painless. It's a dollar or two, right? And we hope if we win it, but life is not a, a lottery ticket. Life of, of significance requires investment and sacrifice. And you see this very, very clearly when you think about sports. And ironically, I'm not a really big sports guy, but I think about the Olympics. Who do you think that's ever won any event in any Olympics in history thought, nah, it's not going to be that difficult? you know, I don't know, maybe a bobsledder or something, <laughs> but any, anybody that is a, a an athlete is going to understand, I may tear some muscles. I might break some bones. I might get, you know, pass out from exhaustion. I don't know what kind of stuff I'm going to face, but you know what? I'm going to get right back up and I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to tell you a secret that everybody knows instinctively and no one wants to admit is the secret we all know. And that is the vast majority of people never accomplish their goals because they give up before they're at their goals. Mm -hmm. And the irony of that is that if you just kept pushing on, if you just kept pressing on, you will, it, first of all, increase your probability of reaching those goals. And second of all, you, you're changing your mindset about how you work towards your goals. Every single time you fall and pick yourself back up and keep moving, you're teaching yourself that I can do this. And it's really hard the first few times, but when you've done that for decades, 
it's, I'm not saying it's not hard any longer, but what I am saying is it's a lot easier. It's easier to pick yourself up. So if you're in a tough spot right now, if you feel like you're just not making it, if you're falling flat on your face, if everything you're doing seems to be a failure, first of all, I want to encourage you. I want to say you can do it. Pick yourself up and keep going. But I also want to give you another practical piece of advice. Sometimes we fail because it's human nature and that's just life. Sometimes we fail because we didn't plan properly. We made mm. bad plans. Sometimes we just you know, followed bad advice or sometimes we made the wrong investments or built the wrong team. So I do also want to encourage you that if, you're, if you feel like you're failing consistently or you're hit a, a valley and you just can't get out of it, I would encourage you to take an assessment of what got you there. And mm. sometimes what you'll see is... I just keep spending too much money on this, or I keep working with the wrong people, or I keep taking on the wrong type of clients or whatever. I think if you look at that long enough, you'll start to see the answer illuminate of you're failing, not because you're a failure. You're failing because you keep making bad choices, thinking they're going to turn out good this time. And Einstein, I think, was (laughs) uh, credited with, you know, uh, insanity is like, you know, doing the same thing every time and expecting a different result, right? Yes, definitely. Such good counsel for, I hope people are encouraged today hearing this. You know, and so this world isn't our home and the chasm, I feel, such a disconnect between what we know about our God and what he's called us to do and what this world chases after. What difference can a Christian business make in this fallen world and how do they make that difference? Oh, that's great. I I think this goes really to the heart of you know, what's the difference between, you know, me, if, if I'm a lawyer and I'm a Christian and there's another lawyer that's uh, all things equal, we're literally identical. Our experience, our expertise, our exposure to problems, our, our understanding of how to problem solve, we're literally identical, except I'm a Christian and this other lawyer's not. What's the difference? I am going to bring the kingdom into every conversation, mm. into every meeting, And when I say bring the kingdom, what I really mean is bring healing and bring hope and bring light and bring security and bring peace. You know, if if I open my mouth, the spirit of God's there. And I don't mean that in a prideful, like, I, I hope this is not misinterpreted. What I really mean is that if I'm one with God, then every situation I walk into He's there. He's present. And so I do think that when we say, how can a Christian business bring hope in a fallen world? You know, we don't have to put Bible verses on everything. We don't have to start every, you know, conversation, especially with a non-believer with some comment about Jesus or church or a Bible verse or, you know, well, hey, when I was at Bible study, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's the wrong move, but I'm also saying that's not necessarily the right move. Sometimes it's bringing the spirit of God into a room where the spirit's speaking and we're not. And I Mm. think as Christians, that's really, really hard for us because we are so used to like spreading the gospel means talking. And you know, what's funny about that is it's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. We don't change hearts. So if I'm talking, it's possible that God's not. Because he can't, because I won't let him. So how do we bring, you know, Jesus? How do we bring hope and all that into the marketplace as Christian business owners? And how do we make a difference? I would say, first and foremost, know that if you're one with God, God is walking into every meeting, every phone call, every circumstance with you, which means his presence is there, number one. Number two, give him space to work. 
Don't feel like you have to be speaking the whole time, you know, uh, discipling and, you know, spreading the gospel. Because when I say that, again, you know, a lot of this could be taken out of context. Spreading the gospel is our mission, right? But sometimes spreading the gospel, that mission is in silence and it's actually in our work. You know, I can go move my neighbor's trash cans uh, just to be kind. That's the spirit of God. And yeah, we can say, well, that's not Brock. That's not God. You know, God didn't show up when you moved the trash cans. Well, maybe, but I didn't say a word. But the point is, is who is less important than who he is and he being God. So I really do think if we want to think about changing the world and making a difference as Christians, start to see our work as God's work. Start to see him present Mm. in every single piece of what we do and start to give him space to work instead of thinking we need to beat people over the head with, with verses and, you know, anecdotes. Wow. And you know, it's really so simple as walking in the spirit, not the flesh. Yeah. And, you know, we can say that we're Christian, we can sit on the pew, but if we're not in our word, it's really going to be hard to walk in the spirit. (laughs) So those are how you help bring the presence. You know, it's been said that hope is not a plan. Sometimes businesses fail, as you were mentioning earlier, because there was not much of a plan in place. What key ingredients do you recommend as being essential part of a business plan? So, yeah, I I will start the answer with what will kind of undo the answer, which is no plan uh, succeeds in the face. I I don't know exactly how this this phrase is, but basically your plans are plans until they meet the enemy and then they're no longer plans Um, because we just can't plan for all contingencies. We can't plan for all circumstances and, and uncertainties. So what are the key pieces? Number one, you always need to be thinking about your finances. Most businesses fail because of poor financial decisions. What what we might call, um, from a data perspective, lack of adequate financing. But what many times really means, we just made really bad decisions around money. So make really smart plans around money. What is this going to cost? Where am I going to make my money? How long will it take to make my money? As you form a business plan, you have to think about finances. Number two, be strategic in what, how your actions are going to translate to a goal achieved. So a lot of times we say, hey, we're going to start a business and we're going to, you know, we, we kind of get the big picture, but how are we actually going to sell this product? Where are we going to manufacture this product? Did we even think about uh, the cost of manufacturing? Did we even think about the risk of loss? You know, a lot of people are like, well, hey, I'll find a manufacturer in China through, you know, Alibaba and get a quote and all will be fine. Well, what if they take our money and don't deliver? You know, have we dealt with that? So what I mean by this piece is you look at the goal, the objective, and you work backwards and say, what steps can I take to get to that goal? And that's a part of our business plan is, okay, I'm going to need, if I'm going to sell a product, I need that product manufactured. Where, who, how much, how does it get to me? How do I order it? How do I ensure quality? You know, all of those kinds of questions have to be answered. So I say, you know, financial uh, has to be addressed in a business plan. The goals and how you're going to achieve them have to be addressed. Um, and I think also just generally soaking that business plan with prayer and with God and understanding that, you know, no plan succeeds without God's intervention, no matter how smart it is. I don't believe in luck. I mean, this is just me. I don't mm-hmm. believe in luck. I believe in Jesus. So for me, if a plan fails, it may not be, you know, I may have planned really, really well and it's just the market wasn't right or, you know, we don't know. There's, there's so many intervening circumstances, but I can guarantee you 
that if I don't plan, I'm more likely to fail. So the planning piece is really soaking it in prayer, asking the tough questions, looking at finances, and looking at the pragmatic steps to get to your goals. Great. So now another question I was thinking of is how does a business owner determine whether they should be profit or nonprofit? And how does this affect their ability to reach the world around them? Yeah, it's a very convoluted question. Not the fact that you you know asked it, but just where it kind of leads discussions. And I would say if I had to really simply, concisely answer it, you know, nonprofit or for-profit, I would say actually the answer is in the definition. If you're trying to make a profit and you're trying to build a legacy that you own or control, you need a for-profit business. If you are not worried about profit and you're trying to impact culture at large and you're not worried about, you know, a retirement plan or, you know, owning anything, then a nonprofit may be the right answer. Um, But if those are your goals, a for-profit is not your answer because you're not going to be able to achieve those. You know, that's the problem is the things that you want in a nonprofit, like if I want a retirement plan built into my nonprofit, that's the wrong entity. I don't own it. There aren't shareholders. I don't own stock in that company. Even if I founded it and ran it for 50 years, it's not my company. Whereas in a for-profit, it is, um, or it can be, you know, depending on how you set it up. So that's a very practical perspective on for-profit, non-profit. But I think in terms of reaching the world, I use this example in the book and I think about it a lot. You know, Tom's is a great example of a for-profit organization that has a socially good mission. But if we said, hey, their whole mission is to raise money for others, then you can kind of answer part of that question. You know, the equation is, well, then they're not likely to make a profit behind the scenes because if they truly are missional, and I don't mean that religiously, I mean missional in terms of solving a world problem. um, If giving away all the the resources and money is the answer, they're probably not going to make a profit, which means for profit is probably not the right entity. The hard part for me is that so many people come into this conversation and say, well, I want to be a for-profit because I want to get donations and, you know, we want to do something that's either, you know, a, a Christian message or even just socially good, even if it's not a Christian message. And once they start talking about it, they're really defining what should be a for-profit business. But mm. the reason why they want it to be a nonprofit is because they don't want to base their success on sales. They want to base their success on people giving the money donations. Donations come into a nonprofit. They don't come into a for-profit because there's not a tax benefit to donate to a for-profit. So all of that to say, I think this, this conversation probably, you know, requires a lot more fleshing out because it's a, there's just so many nuances to it. But I think at the end of the day, if you ask yourself, do I want to make a profit and do I want to own this? And do I want to create a legacy for my family and my kids and all that? You should not be thinking nonprofit. If you're, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, if you're thinking, I want to build legacy, but I want that legacy to be for the public good, that's a nonprofit. Mm. That's really good. Thank you so much. Um, So I want to talk about character. Um, We're rounding out our conversation now, but character matters. Integrity, ethics, conviction. Three of my children have worked for Chick-fil-A at one time or another, and what impressed me was how they carried their values out. They mentor their employees, encouraging the reading of excellent books, forming godly character and excellence, which we talked about earlier. You know, Christian fads are not the same as the real deal. And so sometimes people can get on the bandwagon, but maintaining the values is hard. 
in businesses and values erode with time unless there's intentionality. All four of my adult children attended Liberty University and three of them will have graduated from there by May. And I can just feel the tension of trying to maintain godliness. Right. You know, and they have a lot of things in place, especially in a large organization. So what are some things you have in place to help keep a business grounded in faith? I think it always starts with the individual. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. about um, when I was, uh, so after graduate school, before law school, I worked for a Christian organization and we had worship, you know, every week we had prayer times, we had different Bible studies going on. And you think about if you're in that kind of environment, it's really easy to be, you know, quote Christian. But when you're out in the public sector, or even if it's a small business um, that's not Christian, you know, whatever the, the size of the business is irrelevant. But the point is, you know, in Christian-owned businesses, it's really easy to create space for Christian expression. You know, mm-hmm. prayer time, Bible studies, all that sort of thing. But out in the marketplace, there's not always space for that. And that's why I always go back to what's happening at the individual level and the individual's walk with God. Um, you know, when you see a person that's, you know, I've worked for companies that have thousands of employees. Um, and, you know, I'm in an apartment, you know, with cubicles. And, you know, there's, you look around and you're like, Where, where's the space for God here, Right. And, you know, Chick-fil-A is easy. It's an easy example because that value system trickles down throughout the entire organization. So there's space for the expression of those values. But let's say you take a, you know, quote, secular organization and you want to bring the kingdom into that, um, you know, that, that place. It's, it starts with you and God. And if you're walking with God, I do think there's going to be a natural expression of that. But I do think the other part of it is, you know, we, we do get hung up in, you know, as Christians, and I don't want to go off, certainly don't want to go off tangent and start talking about a, a, a different topic, but, you know, is it okay to cuss? Is it okay to drink? You know, mm. we, we have one persona in church and then we have this other persona in the workplace. But remember when we talked about the brand of human engagement, we talked about consistency. You know, imagine your workplace knowing that you go to church on Sundays and then you're, you know, at the office, you know, joking about, you know, cheating on your wife or, you know, drinking whiskey or whatever, you know, whatever. And I think that people start to see there's inconsistencies and it invalidates our ability to influence those around us. So I think the answer is really buried in your individual relationship with God and that you're walking in consistency in your workplace, whether you own the business, whether you're trying to create a space for it, you know, and there is some difficulties with Christians who own businesses that are not nonprofits because there are not certain first amendment protections are lost where your expression of your faith is not okay because of the laws that we have in this, in this land. Um, and, you know, if, if there's a person of a different religion that works for your, you know, works for you and you want to hold a, you know, a quote Christian prayer meeting that may make them feel like it's a hostile work environment. And again, I, there are a lot of different, you know, rabbit trails we can go down. But my point is, is rather than think of it as structural, we have prayer time, we have worship every Monday, we have, you know, Bible studies, you know, at lunch, which is all fine. Um, don't get me wrong. But I think really it boils down to the, on the human level, are you walking with God on a daily basis in all of your interactions and bringing the kingdom into those interactions? And if you are, then that's how you stay grounded in faith in the, the, those kinds of environments. And remember too, I mean, this is the part that's really hard for me. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
And you will see Christians, you know, live that out by getting drunk with their work buddies and doing all kinds of things. And you'll see other ones that are absolute prudes and won't even go to the bar because, hey, I just don't want to portray. And it, there's like this whole spectrum of which are you, you know? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is, you know, Jesus was around wine. Jesus turned water into wine. Like there's some precedent for being around certain environments and and you being the influencer instead of being influenced by. So I think the obvious is, hey, don't act like a a, a sinner. Don't act like a non-believer when you're in the workplace or when you're when you're around right. the work environment. Act like a Christian. And what that means, I don't I certainly don't want to be the judge that tells you what that looks like, but I'm saying the the deeper your connection is to God, the more you're naturally going to live that and not have to set up ground rules for it. Yes. And, and I'm thinking too of the culture of the workplace, you know, as someone who's a leader trying to keep it there because there is the natural drift away and people tend toward religion instead of relationship. And so yeah. it is a challenge sometimes just in different groups that I lead to, you can see where people can just drift to the comfortable religious thing. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, no, let's be sincere here. Well, let's close off here. I, wanted, I thought it'd be appropriate to end with, I, I saw something in your book, the 10 commandments for the Christian entrepreneur. Uh, if you could share on that. Yeah, actually. So the 10 commandments for the Christian entrepreneur kind of came, you know, through the process of just working with, um, you know, the, the publisher and talking about the meaning of the book and what, you know, some of our goals were in, in, you know, the people that would read this book and how it would help them. And I wanted to leave the reader with some really just simple guidelines, you know, not just sort of playing off tongue in cheek, you know, the 10 commandments, um, but definitely not trying to follow, you know, don't murder in business. Um, um, not not that, but just here are 10 rules that if you live by these in business, it's really going to change your game. It's really going to change how you operate. And so obviously the first, and I'm not going to run through all of these, but just to talk about them, you know, the first is to to just seek God in all that you do and to think about him and all that you do. If we're a Christian entrepreneur and our first devotion isn't to him and we're not seeking him with everything in us, our plans are most likely going to fail. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I look at what are 10 things, I'm kind of pulling from my history and working with, with entrepreneurs in general across the spectrum, but also specifically with Christian entrepreneurs and, and looking at the points where I see breakdown of like, why did this one fail? Why did this one constantly have struggles or this one never get off the ground? And I, and I thought, you know, if, if I could give 10 quick pieces of advice, if you did nothing else, if you just took these 10 quick pieces of advice, I, I really think it would change your entire playing field. That's really what the 10 commandments uh, for the Christian entrepreneur was all about. Mm, so good. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? You know, more than anything, uh, I would, I would love to just share an encouragement. If you're building, if you're dreaming, you know, really doesn't matter what stage you are. If you just have not lifted a finger, but you've always known inside your bones, you want to start a business, you want to start something, I want to encourage you that I I do believe that God plants these seeds in us and these dreams in us that he wants to bring to fruition. And that if you'll trust in him and you'll seek him with all of your heart and not lean to your own understanding, I mean, obviously that's from Proverbs, but I think what you'll see is that God will work through you. And a lot of these things that we turn into complicated questions and processes and strategies, that if we submit it to God, we see that it actually is a lot easier 
and it's a lot more achievable. So I just want to encourage you, if you're feeling a drive to, to dream something, to build something, to execute something or to grow something, and I really mean that, if you do, then go for it, but just soak it in God, like submit it to God, leave it in his hands, but be smart and strategic about it. That's, that's what I would leave everybody with. Great. Thank you so, so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure and I'm so happy to see, you know, God working in people. So I thank you for the opportunity to, to kind of speak into that. You guys, leave a comment to be entered to receive a copy of Brock's book, The Christian Entrepreneur. You can find Brock Shinen at www.brockshinen.com. The raw truth is that when we are connected to God, the connection with others we are trying to reach is stronger. The radical grace is when we honor God with the work of our hands, He will honor our work. And the real hope is our work matters. God will equip those He has called. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. 